Thank you all for being with us today. It's, it's great to have you share part of your busy day here with us. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. We have been going through the words of Jesus, and we're looking specifically at the words near the beginning of uh, his ministry in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we've done some very strange things, like speak on adultery on Mother's Day. And last week we, we spoke about divorce. And now today it's, it's a little bit easier. Um, maybe. How many of you know what this is? And I know you're a little bit far away, but you can't really see it. It's not a $1 bill. It's not a $5 bill or a $10 bill. I don't have 50s or 100s. This is a $2 bill. Have you ever seen them? You ever seen one? Yeah. Okay, great. There's actually quite a few of them out there. There's $1.5 billion worth of twos in circulation. These were printed since we began printing money. Um, it was suspended in 1966. But then again, so was the $5 bill because they weren't sure that we would need that. But by 1976, they began printing them again. They are still in print. I wanted to draw attention to the backside, the obverse. There is a reproduction there of a painting by John Trumbull in 1819 called The Signing of the Declaration of Independence. And we have a reproduction of that uh, painting up here next in, in uh, living color. So not just in green and white. At some point it'll appear. <clears throat> After the colonies declared war on Great Britain, that took place in April of 1775. A year rolled around and they figured, okay, we better put words to what we're actually doing. And so they did. Uh, they asked a committee of five people. And you'll see here seated around that desk are five people or one seated, uh, four of them standing. Three of them are names that we would know, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. Uh, we know as fathers of the revolution. And then uh, Samuel Adams, who you thought invented beer. But he was actually one of the uh, representatives in this Congress from Boston um, then two others, Robert Livingston from Pennsylvania and Roger Sherman from uh, New England. They came together and they drew up a rough draft. They presented the rough draft to the Congress on July the 2nd, 1776. The Congress adopted it, but they kept it around for a couple of days, making uh, just a couple of wordsmith-type changes by July the 4th, the declaration was announced, officially accepted, and then published. They ran to a local printer, and he printed off what they called broadsides. They put 200 copies of the Declaration of Independence out. The preamble of the Declaration of Independence, the second paragraph, most of us here could probably quote that. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable 
rights. But among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. What words? What power? They listed off 27 grievances against the British crown. And then they said, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it's the right of the colonies. It is their duty to throw off such government to provide new guards for their future security. That is the Declaration of Independence. We're coming up to Memorial Day, then the 4th of July. We'll remember these words. These words will be repeated to us. They will probably appear in a speech somewhere. They may actually simply be read. Those 200 copies, those 200 broadsides, were sent out, first of all, to the revolutionary army that had been fighting for a year. And when they heard the words read in public, in front of the general population, they gathered together, they went out, they found statues of King George, and they tore them down. They tore down anything that indicated that the U.S. had at one point been subservient to the British islands. They declared independence. These words have been repeated, reprinted millions of times since then. They created a movement that resulted in the independence of the United States. Words are important. These words were incredibly important. And today, as we read Jesus' words, Jesus talks to us about the importance of words. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Following the pattern that we've seen every week, Jesus says, first of all, this is what you've heard. And then he says, but I say, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must Carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. Don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say by my own head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes or a simple no is adequate. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now Jesus talks about the use of vows and oaths, swearing that something is true or that I will do something I swear. This was apparently very important in the first century. It was important way back when Israel first received the law. In fact, there's an entire chapter, Numbers chapter 30, that's dedicated to how to make a vow and the importance of it. The bottom line of that chapter is that if you invoke God's name in the vow, you sure better keep it. 
Now, apparently, by the New Testament time, this had degenerated into something like this. If you use God's name when you make a bow, you have to keep it. If you don't, not so much. You know, just see what's convenient for you. But if you used his name, oh, you got to keep it. Jesus changes that, but he doesn't change it in the way that we would have expected. I would have thought that he would have said, keep all your vows, but he doesn't. Instead, he just says, don't even make vows. Just let your word be your word. Say yes or say no, and then do it. Fulfill what you've said. He says that because words are not only important, words are powerful. Words carry with them the power of doing what we've said. Jesus says we have to be careful with our words. Now today, Jesus talked about oaths and vows. We really don't do that today. And you know why we don't do it? It's because we broke so many of the vows. So we got in the habit of writing it down. So if there's something that we say we're going to do, just saying it isn't enough. You have to write it down. And if you really mean it, you take what you've written down and your signature and you carry, carry it to a notary public who will watch you sign, and then they will sign underneath you saying, hey, I watched them sign. Your signature doesn't even carry power today because we have broken trust and broken our word so often. Words carry power. But as a result of sin, words have begun to lose their power. What a person says now really doesn't mean very much, does it? That's just the world that we live in. From the very first sin, words held power. What was the first sin? The serpent approached Eve and said, what did God say? She said, well, he told us not to eat of this tree because if we do, we'll die. And what did the serpent say? You won't die. That's not true. In fact, you'll become like God. Words carry power. As early as Genesis chapter 3, words carried enough truth to be believable, but enough falsehood to make it deadly. That hasn't changed. Lies typically will carry enough truth that we'll believe it, but enough falsehood that it can destroy us. Today, we have increasingly heard lies, misdirections. We've come to believe that what a person says is really not all that important. It's when they write it down that it becomes important. In fact, near the beginning of the 2000s, in political debates, we began to see fact checkers. Do you remember that? 
Do you remember when they first came out? It seemed so odd to me when it first started. Because I thought, aren't they supposed to be telling us the truth? But apparently not, because the fact checkers came out, and all of a sudden, so-and-so was caught in a lie. So-and-so twisted a perception of the truth and actually stated a lie. So we had fact checkers. And ever since then, fact checkers are with us. Well, around 2016, you began to have multiple fact checkers. And after a political date, this one would say, this candidate told the truth, and that one would say, oh no, that was a lie. Now even the fact checkers are partisan. And we're left to wonder who is really telling the truth. Can we believe anybody at all? And then Jesus stands up and he says, words are important. Words are powerful. Now there are three things. Here Jesus talks about oaths. But as Jesus speaks about our words throughout the Gospels, there are three things that he comes back to time and time again. First of all, he talks to us about negative language. Negative language is aggressive language. It's coarse language. It's cursing. Its intent is to shock us, to call attention to the idea being expressed. Many times to call attention to the person expressing the ideas. Jesus also talks to us about telling the truth. And then finally, he talks to us about destructive language. So let's work our way through these things. What does scripture say about negative language? Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not from you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Paul talks about negative language. He actually refers to cursing, apparently, even in the first century. Cursing was out there. So why is cursing bad? Isn't cursing just a word? I mean, we hear it enough on the radio, right? Depending on the music that we listen to, we'll, we'll catch different levels of cursing. Isn't it just another word? Isn't it just a way to put emphasis on something? Well, you know, it's interesting. There are two words, two four-letter words that are out there. We talk about the L word. You know what the L word is. It's love. And when we talk about L word, we recognize that it is a word. But there's another four-letter word out there. Ralphie in the Christmas story called that the F dash dash dash, the mother of all curse words, which after he said he had a bar of life boy soap in his mouth. We refer to that as the F-bomb. Now, it's interesting. We don't call it the F-word 
The L word refers to a word, but the F-bomb refers to a word that we recognize innately is intended to destroy. It's a bomb. When we use it, it can offend. It can hurt. It can shock. In fact, medicine tells us that the simple act of saying a curse word releases adrenaline in our bodies. You know, there are many schools who have banned cursing. And the reason they do that is because there is a direct link between negative language and negative behavior. What they've discovered is that first you say it, then you do it. And so they've said, we're not even going to allow you to say it. Interesting. Interesting. The reality is that words are important. Words are powerful. And words initiate behavior. First you say it. Then you do it. Violent words lead to violent action. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans chapter 3. Paul describes a situation in which he just wants to explain to us that all of us are sinners. In the middle of that, look at what he says. He says of the sinners, which is all of us, their talk is foul. Listen to the imagery, like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. That's the talking part. What comes next? They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. What Paul says is that we move from what we say to what we do. Speaking with negative language leads to negative behavior. So Jesus says, just don't do it at all. Stop it when it's still in your lips. And that might help you control what you do next. Second thing Jesus talks about is telling lies. Again, Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says this. So stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth. We're all part of the same body. What Paul is saying is that so many of us have gotten into the habit of telling lies that we actually are destroying our relationship with our neighbors. What happens when you tell a lie? You know, it may start small. It may, it may be seemingly uh, innocuous at the beginning, insignificant. But then a little bit bigger lie is just that much easier. And then a bigger one and a bigger one. 
until finally the person that you're talking to just doesn't even know when you're telling the truth anymore. And they tend to disbelieve everything that you say. I'll be honest with you. If I don't know you and you tell me something, I generally put it in the we'll see about that category. Because I don't know you. If I know you, we've built a relationship and I have learned that you are reliable and you tell me something that's very different. I will more than likely believe you until you give me a reason to not believe you. We have become so used to telling lies and hearing lies that it's hard for us to know when someone is telling the truth. Don't be like that. Get in the habit of telling the truth all the time. It's so much easier. You don't have to keep track of what you said to who. You can just speak the truth. The third thing that Jesus talks about is destructive language. Language whose intent is to hurt, to destroy. Now, <clears throat> here in America, we have taken as a cultural expression of what it means to be an American, insulting each other. In fact, we think it's funny. And so we'll look at someone who's short and call them shrimp. And they'll smile and we'll laugh. But what do they really feel? We'll find something about someone else and just kind of poke at it. We actually have television shows that are designed around insults and humiliation. If you don't believe me, just turn on your TV. Most television shows will include at least some level of insult and humiliation. There's one in particular, and I'll be honest with you, it is funny. I laugh when I watch it. Impractical Jokers but it's all designed on the humiliation of each other. You know what? That show doesn't do well in syndication overseas because other cultures don't get it. I have, I have had, I've traveled with Americans overseas and listened to them do what comes very natural to them. They'll insult and then laugh. And I've had people from other cultures come to me and say, Randy, do we need to be praying for them? Obviously, there's something wrong with that relationship. And I've said, no, no, no. Listen, that's just what we do. We, we, we joke about things like that. Just about every time, the typical response that I get is, why? I've never had an answer for that question. Because it's a good question. Why do we do that? Why do we insult each other, humiliate each other, and then laugh about it? It is destructive. It hurts. 
Jesus talks about destructive language. He's talking about that. There are a few other things he's talking about as well. Self-deprecation. When we insult ourselves in front of somebody else and then smile about it or laugh about it or the other person might giggle a little bit. But when we do, what is it that we're doing? A couple of years ago, Andrea Fisher and I led a, uh, a youth team to Columbia. And I heard Andrea do something that I loved. I had never heard it before. But when she would hear one of the teens put themselves down, she would say, okay, three put-me-ups. First time I heard it, I thought, what? What in the world is a put-me-up? I know what a put-me-down is. What's a put-me-up? Well, they had to come up with three things about themselves that they really liked. Wow, I love that. That is great. And that's what we should be doing. Instead of putting ourselves down, what is it that we've done that we're proud of? Or, or what has God done in us that we can sit back and say, thank you, Lord. We need to be practicing put-me-ups, not put-me-downs. Another form of destructive language, gossip. You know, a gossip does not have to be a lie. It can be the truth. But when we say it with the intent of injuring another person, it becomes gossip. Jesus says, don't do that. Destructive criticism, again, I love to watch Gordon Ramsay. He has the best put-downs, right? The taking the piece of bread and sticking it on both sides of your, of your face and shouting, what are you? And he doesn't remove it until you say, I'm an idiot sandwich. You know, who, who does that? Well, Gordon Ramsay does. But you know what? He's in some shows where he recognizes the power of his own words. And in some of the shows where he's trying to help restaurants recover, he'll come to some point and say, you know, that is delicious. You need to do more of that. And that server is really taking care of the customers. Do that more. And inevitably, when the restaurant succeeds, it's not because they've been ridiculed and humiliated, it's because they've been built up by the power of words. Paul, again, talks about the power of edification. Don't say what you say in order to tear someone else down. Build them up. We can't really leave this topic without talking about social media. You know, as easy as it is for us to lie, to be destructive, to be negative face-to-face, -face, it's so much easier on social media. People who would never think of saying that to your face, boom, it's out there. They'll tweet it. They'll post it. It's easier because you're not face-to-face. -face. It's easier because you don't see the pain in the eyes of the person that you've just insulted. It's easier because you don't live with the depression that follows the insult. You just got the perfect comeback. Jesus says we need to be careful what we say. 
whether we say it or whether we tweet it. We need to be careful what we say. So what are we saying? Saying that your words are important. We're saying that your words carry power. We're saying that your words can actually initiate behavior. And because of that, if we want to live, love, and go like Jesus, then we simply need to say what we mean and mean what we say. We need to be careful with our words. Don't use words to tear others down. Use words to build people up. Use words to be Jesus to other people.